Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We are lucky to have our full panel here, which means Jorna Taylor, who is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin, is with us. Jorna. You're lucky to have me this morning, Matt, because oh, it's almost Pride Fest. That's right, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, good morning, everyone. So welcome, Robert. And uh, we have a number of topics we want to take on this uh, week in the podcast. We're going to start by talking about uh, Hillary Clinton's victories in uh, four of the six primaries, I believe, this week. And wrapping up, it appears, the nomination. And we'll talk more about that. We're going to talk about the state being ranked 36th in job creation last year. And these are new numbers that came out this week. We also, of course, have to talk about Jorna's favorite person, Paul Ryan. Uh, we'll talk about his poverty plan and uh, its inauspicious launch this week and all of the fun associated with an endorsement of Trump when you're trying to supposedly be a serious policy guy. And of course, we have to close the show by talking about another one of our crazy state representatives, uh, Branchin, who wants to cut funding to Milwaukee because of crime. We'll We'll look much more and uh, deconstruct all of that activity. So with that, Jorna, Matt. I, I want to talk with you about Hillary Clinton winning. It's, uh, she, she won four primaries this week, including California. Um, and essentially now has wrapped up the nomination. She has enough delegates, whether they be, you know, however you want to quantify them. Um, Maths are hard. This is a... Look, this is, uh, aside from the back and forth, Clinton versus Sanders, uh, it's a big moment uh, to have the first, this is the first woman to actually be nominated by a major party, assuming this goes as we expect. Your thoughts, Jorna? So I've been working in and around politics for nearly 20 years, and I consider myself a bit of a jaded political hack on most days. <laughs> I know, you don't say. <laughs> you were a nonprofit consultant. <laughs> uh and I will admit that even this jaded political hack sat on her couch on Tuesday night with a glass of red wine and a bag full of mini Snickers and <laughs> cried while watching Hillary Clinton's opening video and her speech uh, because, you know, there was a very clear glass ceiling that was shattered on Tuesday night. And that was history was made for the second time in you know in a decade with now having an african-american nominated and then elected as president and now having a woman nominated as one of the major party candidates and i couldn't be more proud as a woman well jordan i don't think you were alone um exit polling and the polling throughout this election has showed that uh, hillary has done extremely well with women uh, 61 percent to 37 so obviously this is this is important it's an important moment it is and, and let me just say it's not I'm not with Hillary. I'm not with her just because she's a woman. I absolutely think that she is by far and away the most qualified candidate. I think that she has the most experience. I think that she has earned it. And I think that she will make an incredibly phenomenal and smart president. Yeah, no, I obviously that goes without saying. I. I think we wanted to make sure that it's stated, right? Because it is, as you mentioned, it is a very important moment, and it is historic. Uh, Robert, your thoughts? So I agree totally. It's a bigger deal than having two Cuban candidates get wiped out by Donald Trump in a primary. Uh, so <laughs> just thinking about the other possible social advance <laughs> that we could have had in this cycle. So it, it's be, it, 
stands to reason, frankly, that the Democratic Party would be breaking these these various glass ceilings and historical precedents. So I think it is a big deal. And in a way, it's been overshadowed by the big deal of Obama, uh, which is a bit of a shame. But, um, you know, it's still we still should point it out. Um, so I just leave it there. I mean, this we're moving forward in some ways in this country. I mean, there is uh, you have to if you look at it, I mean, some progressives are very upset about direction of the economy, and rightly so, and, and other ways which we're regressing, right? Expanding child poverty, poverty in general, et cetera, decline in the middle class. But if you go back 50 years, we were in the dark ages as far as, uh, as gender equity, and at least racial, racial equity that's, that's civil, civilly oriented. In other words, you can succeed in this country if you are a middle class or upper income African American, or, or, and, and if you're a woman as well. But there's huge economic oppression going on as well, and they're, they're both genderized and racialized as well. So this is a convoluted way of me saying that there are some ways we're advancing, but I'm not in the, in the court that says that these sort of uh, social advances are all that we should want to achieve, but we still shouldn't ignore them or diminish them. Well, and I think that there's also a lot left to do yet, right? Like the fight is not over. We haven't won the presidency. And there's a lot of healing in the Democratic Party, as there always is. I would like, you know, I've worked two presidential campaigns. I was on the losing primary side both times. And there's always that time. And and in, in any campaign where there's a contentious primary, there's that time where people need to have their space to lament the loss of their candidate and then come together and unite behind the nominee. And, you know, I think that Bernie Sanders made Hillary a better candidate. I think he made her better on a lot of the issues and he pushed her. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, but, you know, allow the space for folks to mourn. Absolutely. But we've we've got to defeat his orangeness, the utmost racist and fascist of them all. And that's really what's at stake so that really so that good people don't get hurt more in this country. Well, I think you're right, but it's a little bit non-traditional this time in the sense that Bernie brought a lot of new people into the party, right, who are not used to these sort of compromises that are in it on a cause basis. I think as did Obama. Yeah, uh, though he then frustrated a lot of those folks sure. uh, by being much more of a standard <laughs> uh, political leader once in office, but running on change. Um, Bernie's a little more credible, though he is less credible to become president, obviously. So I think that Hillary and her people, rather than we won, we won, we won, now we get to do everything, need to reach out. And I think the best way they could reach out is on the platform to adopt, doesn't have to adopt, she won, she doesn't have to adopt Bernie's entire platform, but, it, but are there a couple major planks that are, that are highly significant uh, that she could adopt? And then to, to show that she's serious and to show that she didn't just run to the left, that she actually is going to fight in some areas for fundamental reform. And one that comes to mind to me off the top is free college tuition. You know, Hillary's critique of that was right, that if you don't also cr uh, control hyperinflation, unaccountability in higher education institutions, it'd be unaffordable. Well, why not come up with a free tuition plan that does that, that guarantees free tuition, but really holds the holds universities accountable because they're the only area other than health that had uh, cost rise as fast as health care. And as you know, because I'm taking Delano on college tours, my goodness, Olympic, Olympic quality training facilities all over campus for each student and executive chefs at each dorm uh, to, to, to provide a minimum of three different meals plus specialized meals for each student, et cetera, et cetera. That's why your tuition is like over $30,000 for public institutions quite often. 
So we are going to switch topics. Um, we'll continue to follow this, uh, Jordan. I think you're absolutely right. We're going to see this play out uh, up into the convention, and I, w I would expect on the back end of the convention we'll start to see um, probably a lot more unifying b behind Hillary. But it, it's certainly this has been a bruising fight of ideas, which has been great, um, and it, it will take time for a lot of folks to to get there. But uh, we got some weeks to do that, and uh, both candidates will play a role in helping that process move along. With that, and we'll and of course we'll continue to watch this. So we're going to quickly change topics. We want to talk a little bit about the new numbers that came out this week that show Wisconsin ranked 36th in the nation in job creation last year. And uh, so these are obviously uh, a full year of numbers, not some monthly snapshot. Uh, and it has immediately got Peter Barker calling for both a job summit and then followed that by emergency jobs session to to deal with this crisis. And, of course, we have been talking a lot about the jobs crisis and agree with uh, Representative Barker that something needs to be done. Robert, uh, probably don't hold out a lot of hope here for this uh, call for a job summit, but certainly these numbers uh, are, are, are not good. To well, quote Trump, not good. Well, there's really no need for one, right, Matt, because the business climate is incredibly good in Wisconsin because of the uh, Wisconsin comeback that's been generated by Governor Walker. Well, so and, I don't know. and Walker's immediately come out and, you know, of course, dismissed the numbers, right? Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> yeah. Everyone don't quote this is in quotes italicized. So why would we need a special session? But there's a there's a broader question in seriousness. And that is, I think, uh, Representative Barca is absolutely right to call for more urgency on the economy. But I think we haven't, still haven't made the case to the public exactly what government, state government, could do to expand opportunity. And Governor Walker, as counterfactual it is, as it is, does tell a consistent story of how he is relieving businesses of unnecessary regulations and reducing their tax burdens and that things would be even worse. And in fact, Walker says that he never promised uh, that our ranking would be good, which is fascinating. He just promised the $250,000 jobs. Which would help our ranking. Right. Right. Just, <laughs> just, a, just a point. I'll but mention that. I, so I think I – think Representative Barca's on the right track, but I think that, and it's not just on him, he leads a party, right? And uh, But we as progressives need to be making a stronger case for what state government ought to be doing that makes sense to average people and seems real and seems credible and is something they can buy into and get excited about and vote on. Well, I, again, to go back to this ranking, I mean, yeah, Walker promised us 250,000 jobs in his first term. Is he in his first term? Oh, I hate to say it, Jorna. He's well into the second. Oh, yeah. Do we have 250,000 jobs? Uh, we're, we're, we're a bit shy of that. Huh. Well, we got a ranking, so yay. How has how how this campaign promise gone for you, What's really embarrassing, I have to say this, that some progressive <laughs> economists in the state told us not to attack the 250,000 promise because we'd get that anyway in the natural recovery. <laughs> so that that they've out. admitted their error. But just so you know, when he made the promise, he thought it would happen naturally. He, his people had the same opinion, which is uh, well, pretty hilarious. Robert, I'm glad you mentioned that, right? Like even the language of that, you talked about natural. It's what yeah. we talk about, why we talk about about rigging the economy, right? This economy is not natural, and it has been certainly rigged for the few and against opportunity for the many. And, uh, you know, so a lot of folks have either felt serious 
well, one, lack of jobs, but also serious wage uh, pressure over the last decade. So, look, we're going to obviously not stop talking about jobs. We think it's a critical issue. We'll continue to talk about outsourcing and trade as we go forward in this election. We see there, see them as very important issues, both federally and also at the state level. And just remember, right, because this election is going to be about the economy and who would better take on the rigged economy, which is the danger because Trump seems to be more against the status quo than Hillary, and that's where Hillary could use some of Bernie's platform planks, quite frankly, and, and to credibly present. But remember, this is a problem nationally, and we, we wouldn't think so. Things wouldn't be great if we were just national average. You see yeah. what I mean? But then we're way below national average. And does, I mean, let's be in all seriousness, Walker and Weedek simply hand out money to those who apply, those who also happen to give contributions to Governor Walker. There's no economic strategy. And this is where what Democrats need to show, that there's a strategy when you're thinking about what are the sectors of the economy in Wisconsin, what is in decline, what could be built up, what can we invest in that would create a lot more jobs. Do you know what the um, two most job-centered clusters of the economy are, sectors of the economy are their education and their health care? And so turning down the badger care money and drastically cutting primary and secondary and college education actually costs a lot of jobs. So I was told when we were up in Eau Claire, because we were meeting with our co-op members this week and having a poverty forum, that UWEC, Eau Claire has cut 80 jobs. Well, that's going to impact Eau Claire's economy and not in a good way. So, Robert, I am glad you mentioned poverty. It's a great segue into our third topic. And our our third topic, I'll just prepare you, is going to be long and unwieldy because it involves Paul Ryan. Ryan Watch. Ryan Watch. And it's going to segue from, I want to talk first about his poverty plan that he attempted. He, okay, he released it this week, but it did not go very well. Um, first, Robert, I want to get your thoughts on the content of, well, as much as we know, right, the content of what he is releasing in terms of its ability to fight poverty, then I want to talk after that more broadly about how it went about and sort of the position he's in as it relates to Trump and trying to actually have a discussion of poverty. So, Robert, tell us more about what Paul Ryan proposed. Well, it's not really a deep policy proposal. It's a oh, come on! Five-page gloss. There's stuff people should look at. It. Are there lots of pictures? No, there are no workout pictures of the of the congressman in his four thirty workout. Is he arm? Is he is uh, he is he practicing his arm wrestling? Right. Yes. I want to I want to try to be a little a little a- less acidly cynical about this. Uh, so Paul Ryan is in many ways a very smart politician. That's why he's Speaker of the House. And it's very smart of him to try to take on poverty in some way to try to brand conservatives as actually caring right, about poverty and, and, and things of that nature. And uh, he may have some legitimate aspirations that way because of his religious upbringing. Um, but it's then this mix of that and kind of right-wing propaganda. It's this bizarre kind of brew. But there are parts of it, part, some statements in it, that uh, so rather than knee-jerk just say, no, 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 he cuts this, that, and this program, and these are all wonderful, right? That's part of the problem. We just are organized around holding on to programs that have less and less money and that they're not really to scale to get people out of poverty. So we really should be for transformational change, but we're in a defensive crouch. And so a lot of the response of progressive groups is to attack, defend all of this list of programs, which have helped. Poverty is 40% lower than it would be if we didn't have the Great Society programs, but they're still 
falling behind a changing economy where there's less and less opportunity. So when and so the statewide poverty campaign that we've been working on for the last two years and we're about to roll out, um, a, you know, actual proposition uh, with the Wisconsin Council of Churches, Wisdom, Wisconsin Council of Children and Families. We've been saying this is based on discussions with people around the state and churches for 18 months that we need to not be committed to policies, but to goals and outcomes and actually adopt policies to scale to achieve an outcome. We're going to say cut child poverty in half and cut racial disparities in half and measure everything based on that. And it's fascinating because in the Ryan plan, it says, if America is going to cure poverty and prevent it, then the federal government needs to start coordinating these anti-poverty programs and measure the results. Okay, that we totally agree. It also must start measuring success in terms of how many people get out of poverty instead of how many people collected benefits from these programs. I couldn't agree more, but he would not actually agree to holding hit that this mishmash of policies to that standard. I'm literally saying that we should have something like the Fiscal Bureau, the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, that the Legislative Poverty Bureau that tracks our progress in reducing poverty every year and that all sides have to agree to, and you only you only continue policies that work and you jettison those that don't. So if their policies of throwing people off welfare and making them work don't result in people getting out of poverty because there aren't enough good jobs, then you stop those programs and you adopt things that will. He won't do that because he's overly ideological, but we have to not just reject his position. We need to gauge him and the and conservatives who want to talk this way around this and then call their bluff, call the question, rather than simply try to defend the status quo. So I think a lot of us, it's a long way of saying we're falling into a trap. We need to engage Ryan. I'm not saying that he is in earnest or legitimate, but we, we, we take the bait if we just defend the status quo and attack his policy. Uh, yes, I agree. We shouldn't take the bait. That's absolutely correct. We, you know, far too often we as progressives react to what's out there rather than, you know, come forward with what we want to see. Uh, you know, look, Paul Ryan, as we've always said, is a smart guy. That's why he's speaker. That's why he was a vice presidential nominee. That's why he holds on to a district in Wisconsin that should be a Democratic district, in my opinion. Um, but he has put forward poverty plans just about every year if i'm not mistaken robert um or at least during campaign well, years well, at Isn't least that the funny? last two years yeah and you know it, this is in my how i see this is a campaign tactic in a year where they can't afford to hemorrhage any votes from his orangeness and so he's going to put out something that isn't as in-depth as he has before so that he True. doesn't have to tie the republican party to any sort of actual ideas that would be out there that they you know fundamentally the tea party disagrees with helping people and you know lifting people out of poverty and we use this as a sort of i don't know some sort of weird and twisted rotted olive branch to folks to try and right, get right, them right, to right, vote right. for republicans bingo <laughs> bingo I, i'm both of you this was excellent right it's exactly right um, Robert, I'm glad you talked about the quantification stuff because it's 100% right, and it's why what he did was so brilliant from a policy perspective because who could argue with that? He it's doesn't actually, expect it ever to happen. That's right. That's it's actually what we bluff. should be yeah. doing. <laughs> it's something that we would agree with. It's something conservatives would, would, would agree with. The problem is when you get under the hood of what he's proposing right, and what everybody's attacking – that's where the problem is. It, as Jorna says, will probably create more poverty, won't actually quantify or add up to what he's saying. Yeah, but hey, game on. Let's let's actually start to do that. And let me give the listeners elevator speech version of the good and the bad, because I didn't do policy at all, right? Good in this, expand the interim tax credit. 
that'd be a good thing. Uh, actual case management, where you put resources into working with individual people in poverty and figuring out what they need to get out of poverty, that's good. Problem is it's expensive and he doesn't pay for it. Uh, the bad, uh, literally, he wants more accountability, but he wants to block grant to states. Well, that doesn't lead to better programs. It usually leads to the opposite. Usually it's the state skimming the money for and other less purposes. less money. Less right? money for the program. And then less over time. Uh, so that's bad. Uh, cuts, they introduce a budget where there are massive cuts to all of the, pro the programs that help low-income people. And, uh, and they'll be gutted over time. So that, of course, is inconsistent with the whole idea. It's a pro-poverty program. And then the kicker that a number of uh, columnists have pointed out and others, apparently they felt a need in this to take out the conflict of interest rule that the Department of Labor just came up with for people who advise on uh, retirement and financial issues where you can't say, be essentially being paid by some insurance company that sells a crappy annuity and then not tell the client and then dump this thing that's not appropriate for them onto them and damage their retirement savings and their savings in general. Apparently, it's, it's necessary to repeal this uh, <laughs> in the poverty plan. Hard yeah. to understand. Again, that's the under-the-hood problem yeah. with his proposal, but uh, didn't expect to get there. In uh, a little bit back to what Jorna was talking about, look, if you look at the polling numbers, um, Trump's doing very well with some of the same folks who are on, in poverty, mm -hmm. and right, and they have a large, more uneducated, right, that they, he's doing better amongst the uneducated or less educated folks, I should say. Um, and, and so... And we know that rural poverty and a lot, you know, it's not just the quote, the Democratic base that has poverty, right? Yeah. So they need to address poverty. And, and so him talking about this is politically brilliant, right, and smart. Mm -hmm. um, now, the problem for him is he announces it while he has to defend oh. the latest crazy racist statements from Trump and then triangulate that he's going to, you know, be with the racist over... Clinton, which is almost it's 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 a stretching that is almost impossible to imagine. Jorna. Do, does everybody remember the um, Stevie Wonder Paul McCartney song from the early eighties? Ebony and Ivory, Orangery and Ivory <laughs> yeah. live together in racist harmony. Well, it's yeah. what we've been saying for a while, or I've been saying that is they're not mad about the racism; they're mad they're mad at the, about the refusal refusal to speak in the code. Yeah, and so it's perfectly okay to like to to talk about those who are dependent upon the government, which are, but to say he's a Mexican, he's a Mexican judge, and he's against me because I'm building a wall. That's not you know that's like, that's apparently for many inappropriate. Not enough apparently though. <laughs> well, even Governor Walker has but, backed away and yeah, and um, you know there was also uh, Illinois Senator Mark Kirk who is up for re-election and is considered a huge target, uh, he was like, oh, hell no, this is not okay, which I think we're hopefully going to see. Maybe this is the, the first person that takes the beating from the Trump uh, higher-ups and that we actually see some folks making movement that they're going to back away from this very uh, blatant bullhorn politics, not dog whistle. Uh, well, what if he said instead... This is an elitist liberal judge who sides with trial lawyers and and losers who just wanna wanna oh, mooch off the yeah, system. That would have been cool. fine, right? Yes. And, okay. and obviously true. <laughs>
So it's uh, worth pointing out this week that the uh, New York Daily News, uh, had it not been for the historic Hillary victory this week, was going to have a front page on Wednesday that included Paul Ryan pointing to Donald Trump saying, I'm with the racist. So you got, I, you got to appreciate them calling out for what it was. But they actually, I think, made the right decision and uh, went with something a little more positive, and it certainly was historic, now, one and, as we mentioned earlier. One clarification for our listeners, Hillary is the presumptive nominee. She has to actually get the votes. She probably will, unless something unexpected happens. There's always the black swan, right? Thanks I'm for- not suggesting that she's going... I, I don't believe she's going to be indicted on the emails, but if she was, she would not win the nomination. I'm just, just saying. Spoken like a diehard Bernie supporter, Robert. Yes, I know. I think everybody's aware of where the math is right now, but yes. Maths are hard. <laughs> so... So but I don't know. I don't know. We, we have a weird kind of. Th- this is a nation of sports people. Do we say that? Do we say when the Bears are four touchdowns down to the Packers that they should take a knee in the middle of the fourth quarter? No. We let, let Jay Cutler keep throwing the ball downfield. No. We tell them to take Jay Cutler out of the game and put in the same person. Is, is anyway. our children learning? So so look. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned Kirk, uh, the the senator from Illinois. There are going to be a number of other senators. Uh, Ron Johnson is the number two on the hit list this week, or the most likely to lose uh, his Senate seat. Yes, so unfair. A lot of these senators are going to be in the same position, and I think we may see more of them backing away from Trump. Uh, for this reason, obviously, Ron Johnson continues to be in the same ridiculous position and uh, found himself uh, being Paul Ryan this week and having to uh, blast uh, blast uh, Trump on his immigration policy while, of course, reminding everybody that he supports him, endorses him. No, wait, supports him. I'm sorry. Is it endorse or support? I can't remember. I don't know. Has he polled on that yet? Oh, you better check it out. He endorses, but does not necessarily does not support, support, I believe. Yeah. And Ryan, of course, wanted to clarify. Oh. Paul Ryan did clarify it for everyone. He supports and endorses Thank Donald God. Trump. So that's working out good As for him. As a whole, not each statement, apparently. <laughs> so we'll, we'll continue continue to track how, how all of this plays out. So another way I'm going to argue that the Trump syndrome is playing out is we get these eruptions from the crazy people of the state legislature. We've talked about Loose Cannon, Bob Gannon, before in his comments. Uh, This week, it is a Milwaukee suburban area, Menominee Falls to be specific, state rep, uh, who came out this week and essentially said that because of the crime in Milwaukee, and in particular she cited a carjacking and incident that occurred in Menominee Falls, and the rising crime that she describes coming out of Milwaukee, that... Milwaukee should have its funding cut. Absolutely. I, I do believe that it was our friend, uh, State Representative Mandela Barnes, who said that the That's next right. thing that she'll be calling for is an economic wall built around the city of Milwaukee. Well, when you take all of our funding or you cut... They and just, have. just so people know, Milwaukee receives about 18 to 20% of its entire budget comes in shared revenue, and, and that money had been cut... A few years ago, so this money's critical to, to carrying on. So I'm not sure what genius thinks that removing the money is somehow going to help solve the crime situation. Of course, well, none of Menominee Falls problems spill into anywhere I know else. Another genius who supports this idea. Oh, who's that? The embarrassment to horse riders everywhere, Sheriff Clark. Sheriff Clark, of course, could not wait to get out in front and support the, the, the representative and, you know, came out saying how wonderful it, an it is. It was of political courage. Courage. 
What Milwaukee needs is no is no more are no more no is no more state aid, no more rallies, no more marches, summits, or task force. Milwaukee needs to end these crazy social engineering criminal just experiments and stop being stupid about crime. So look, uh, just cut the funding. To, I think he want, wishes to no need money for this, incarcerate yeah. most of the Milwaukee population. Then they look. Let's be clear. Street crime anyway. This, Clark Blowhard Clark, that guy complains about his budget and his yes. funding every budget cycle, mm. and then he's running around saying somehow the way to solve crime is to cut the funding in Milwaukee. It's it's insane. I think we should ask Representative uh, Brandigen. Maybe the press release got into this, Matt. What is her solution to crime? A wall. It doesn't yeah. have one. Right. We like walls in Wisconsin. There's no solution. I mean, it's when we talk about crazy Milwaukee social engineering, do you know, uh, just to, to unpack the, uh, it's kind of funny to call David Clark coded, but there's some coding there. And that he's, he's talking about drug courts. And uh, and thing and things like that, where literally uh, you're trying to find a way to deal with the underlying problem and not just use criminal justice system for people who are just addicted to substances, right? That's the social engineering he's talking about. Apparently, we just need to lock them all in jail. Perfect. Also, want to point out which will cost more money, by the way. Want to point a out lot more. Governor Walker tried to distance himself from her comments. Just to be clear, similar to what the Republican Party is experiencing with Donald Trump, this is a guy who ran on against Milwaukee. Like mm -hmm. His whole campaign has been the coded dog whistle crap that we've talked about, directed specifically at Milwaukee. So for him to come out this week and you know, say that he thinks the answer is you know working together and everything, this is a guy who got elected wah, by wah. sparking the likes of Loose Cannon Bob Gannon, and I don't even know right this, what we're going to call her. Elevated him, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, we have. We should be seeing what they're saying about this. Actually, of course, our new project will start to do that uh, and, in a systematic way. And that's why I wanted to make sure we talked about this because these they need to be held accountable because they're electing these people up and down the ticket, and apparently now they want to try to elect them for president. At least they're speaking what they actually feel. You see, if they only spoke in the code, we wouldn't be talking about it. So in a way, they you see they've since Nixon. Conservatives have created a monster. You know, the forgotten invisible Americans, the forgotten majority, et cetera, et cetera, all different names for them, the Tea Party ultimately. Uh, they've created a large group of people who believe this stuff. And so that's the problem. That's why they lost the nomination. The establishment lost the nomination to Trump because they couldn't deal with the fact that Trump was actually speaking to the constituency they've created for malicious purposes over the years. So with that... Jorna, what are you going to be doing this weekend when you're not building walls around Milwaukee? Building a wall around Pride Fest? Oh! No, I'm not. I'm going to be just taking kidding. down walls. Taking down walls. We are Thank going to you. be breaking down barriers and having the best and most awesome Pride Fest where we are celebrating 20 years on the Summerfest grounds and 30 years of the festival in the city. So, so let our listeners know statewide yes. when it's happening and why so they need to go. We kick off on Friday afternoon. We are opening the gates at 2.30 on Friday afternoon, June 10th, so as you listen to this, and we're offering free admission from 2.30 until 4 o'clock. So you can join us to kick off the ceremony uh, with, and hear from 
United States Senator Tammy Baldwin, who I know we all awesome. love. Super awesome. Um, and then on Friday night, we have Sarah Silverman and Friends. Everybody knows her. On Saturday night, we have Crystal Waters, Deborah Cox, uh, Big Fridia, and a whole host of other awesome DJs. Those are Robert's favorites. They are Robert's favorites. I expect to see him in the dance pavilion. And then on Sunday, 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 we have, wait for it, Blondie. Uh, we also, though, we really do. We showcase a lot of local Milwaukee talent. We have the nation's largest LGBT showcase of talent uh, in the country. And it's not just about the party. There's also a health fair where you can get free STD screening and learn about services available. There are talks. There's legal resources. There's all sorts of cool things. And bring your kids because we have an awesome children and families area open from 12 to 5 on Saturday and Sunday. So come to Pride Fest. It kicks off summer in Milwaukee. And I'll just say, I think the entertainment lineup rivals some of Summerfests, right? I mean, oh, it's yeah. phenomenal music. So awesome. if you want to have a good time, come to Milwaukee. Jorna, congratulations and thanks for all the work you do to make Pride Fest happen. I know that is a... Uh, it's not easy, and it's a lot of work, and you work on that almost all year. So yeah, we do. Have fun this weekend, <laughs> Robert. What are you doing when you ain't dancing at Pride Fest this weekend? <laughs> With his glow sticks. I don't know. I can't follow that. That was that was worthy of a local news segment. Oh. On Pride Fest. I did do you NPR do... yesterday. There, there you go. go. So right. I could. Complete with the banter with the host, right? I mean, it was, it, was, it was perfect. You should have brought cupcakes in for it. You know. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't know. I've been traveling for six straight days, so I'm looking forward to sleeping. Good. Uh, we have two more work days left. <laughs> um, do have to plan Delano's next uh, college tour. So, uh, and if if you haven't been tracking the college tour of Delano Craig, you need to friend uh, Robert on Facebook. It's uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm I'm not sure whether this is actually a university tour or a Robert uh, microbrew tour of the Midwest. So well, you do it's need a... to stop at the right places. So we re- did recommend the Blind Pig Brewery He's... in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. He is already showing the young lad where where he needs to uh, he uh, try Delano, to sneak into, Delano's apparently. Favorite drink is root beer, so it's perfect. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, with that, um, I, of course, will be spending the weekend at the Dodge County Half Mile on Saturday. Very much looking forward to it. And on uh, Sunday, going to be out at Road America to watch uh, the vintage road races. So very much looking forward to this weekend. And by the way, summer's arriving. If you like it 95 and humid, you're going to really enjoy the next few days. With that, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Oh, and of course, thank you, Brian Woolrich, our producer, for making it happen. See you next week.